Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. With no second debate between Trump and Biden, each candidate does a town hall with network news. Savannah Guthrie earns a job in the Biden White House and fallout continues over social media's decision to weaponize on Joe Biden's behalf. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Stand up for your digital rights. Take action at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, if you've been watching what's going on with social media, you might be thinking to yourself, Should those people have my data? The answer is, of course, those people should not have your data. The fact is they monetize your data and hackers can grab your data online. This is why you need ExpressVPN. It's why I work with ExpressVPN. All of those giant tech services, they can sell information to ad companies. Tech giants can use your data to target you. ExpressVPN stops all of this. They create a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so your online activity cannot be seen by anyone. I use ExpressVPN myself on all my devices. It works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. Here's the best part. Using ExpressVPN, it's as easy as closing the bathroom door. You just fire up the app, you click one button, and you are now protected. So if you're like me, you believe that your online activity is your business. If you have serious trust issues with big tech, as I think you should at this point, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash Ben today. Use my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Ben. You can, get, you can get an extra three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Once more, expressvpn.com slash Ben. All righty. So last night, we had two dueling town halls. This is where you cue dueling banjos, because that's basically what it was. On one side, you had Joe Biden being treated to a massage from George Stephanopoulos. And on the other, you had what appeared to be some sort of sadistic ritual <laughs> happening in which Savannah Guthrie basically whipped Donald Trump over and over and over and asked him to shout, may I have another? I mean, that, that was pretty much the dueling perspective. Like, you knew that this is what was going to happen. And this is the big problem with the media. Now, listen, does Savannah Guthrie have every right to go after Trump and ask him tough questions? Of course. But the problem is that George Stephanopoulos does not go after Joe Biden and ask him tough questions. So here's the deal. Either either everyone ought to get grilled or no one ought to get grilled. Either we ought to have an infomercial for Joe Biden and an infomercial for Donald Trump, or we ought to have a grilling for Joe Biden and a grilling for Donald Trump. But every single person who works in network news is going to vote for Joe Biden. And so they probably couldn't even identify anyone who's willing to show up and ask a tough question of Joe Biden. The scandal here really is not Savannah Guthrie's treatment of Trump, although it was egregious. And a lot of her questions I thought were were poorly handled. I thought a lot of her questions were simply bad or irrelevant. The the real scandal is that no one will ask Joe Biden a tough question or a follow-up tough question when he makes a stupid statement. No one. And he won't appear with anybody who will. And this is all considered totally fine and totally okay. Again, it can be grillings for all or grillings for none. But what you can't have is in the famous phrase of the Simpsons, abortions for some and American flags for others. Like, that's not the way this works. You don't get to, as a media, proclaim that you're objective and then treat the two candidates in polar opposite ways. So the lead up to all of this was, again, demonstrative of the bias that is latent and and actually, in many cases, open in the mainstream media. Remember that there was supposed to be a debate last night between Biden and Trump, which Trump, frankly, needs because Trump needs to be able to ask Biden questions that moderators simply will not ask Joe Biden or follow up on. 
Well, that debate got canceled specifically last week because Donald Trump came down with COVID. It was done without any medical input. It was done without any medical advice. It was done a week in advance of the debate. It made no sense at all. We pointed this out at the time. It mainly appeared like the Commission on Presidential Debate panicked and like they wanted to give an excuse for the debate not to happen. And so they canceled it in advance, barring some sort of Zoom debate. And Trump said, I'm not doing a Zoom debate because Joe Biden's going to read off a teleprompter. And also it allows you to mute me. And it, it totally kills the dynamic. So I'm not going to do that. And the Commission on Presidential Debate said, well, we take COVID seriously. OK, so you end up last night with two in-person town halls. So why couldn't they have just been, you know, in the same room, like far apart from one another, especially because Trump now, lo now no longer transmits the disease. I mean, we now know that he's had at least two negative tests this week. We know that he was not going to transmit it to Joe Biden. In fact, of all human beings on planet Earth, the person who is least likely to transmit this disease to Joe Biden at this point is Donald Trump because he has now had it and he is no longer transmitting it, according to his own doctors. Doesn't matter. Commission on Presidential Debate killed the debate. So instead, we have these dueling town halls. Again, an indicator of bias here. Steve Scully was supposed to be the actual moderator in that debate. And Steve Scully of C-SPAN was supposed to be the moderator. He was suspended from C-SPAN last night. The reason that he was suspended is because he lied about his Twitter account being hacked. You'll recall that the Washington Journal host went viral last week after a tweet sent from his account indicated that he'd reached out to Anthony Scaramucci for advice. And then he claimed that he was hacked. He had not, in fact, reached out to Anthony Scaramucci for advice. It turns out that in the past, whenever he tweets something bad, he claims he is hacked, a la Joy Reid on MSNBC. Well, now the, the C-SPAN administration has decided to suspend him without pay. Scully wrote, for several weeks, I was subjected to relentless criticism on social media and in conservative news outlets regarding my role as moderator for the second presidential debate, including attacks aimed directly at my family. This culminated on Thursday, October 8th, when I heard President Trump go on national television twice and falsely attack me by name. Out of frustration, I sent a brief tweet addressed to Anthony Scaramucci. The next morning, when I saw the tweet had created a controversy, I falsely claimed my Twitter account had been hacked. These were both errors in judgment for which I am totally responsible. I apologize. C-SPAN issued a statement revealing that the network and the Commission on Presidential Debates were made aware about Scully's fabrication on Wednesday. They said, we are very saddened by this news and do not condone his actions. Starting immediately, we have placed Steve on administrative leave. After some distance from this episode, we believe in his ability to continue to contribute to C-SPAN. President Trump immediately went on Twitter and tweeted about it. Of course, he said, I was right again. Steve Scully just admitted he was lying about his Twitter being hacked. The debate was rigged. He was suspended from C-SPAN indefinitely. The Trump campaign was not treated fairly by the commission. Did I show good instincts in being the first to know? That is, it's so typically Trumpian. I was the first. I said it. Twas I. Okay, so Steve Scully was suspended. And then in the lead up to the debates, we had input in which many members of the media were very angry that NBC would even allow some sort of town hall with the sitting president of the United States. How dare NBC? This was supposed to be Joe Biden's night. It was Donald Trump who pulled out of that Zoom debate. Now, it turns out that Donald Trump was totally justified in pulling out of the Zoom debate because Donald Trump has been doing rallies. Donald Trump is healthy now. Okay, but doesn't matter. Members of the press were fighting mad. How could NBC counter-program Joe Biden with Donald Trump? I mean, Joe Biden's a good person and Donald Trump's a bad person. We should never let NBC News ask tough questions of Donald Trump. So it was pretty obvious where this was going from the outset, right? As soon as NBC News started getting pressure, it was fairly obvious they were going to go to somebody like Savannah Guthrie and say, OK, we want you to grill the living hell out of Trump. I mean, we want this guy well done. The entire Hollywood infrastructure mobilized to tell NBC News how bad they were. According to The Hollywood Reporter, 
J.J. Abrams, Anna DuVernay, and Mariska Hargitay were among 100 top Hollywood players protesting at NBC's Trump Town Hall. I noticed none of them decided to forfeit their pay from NBC if they work for NBC. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the group wrote, you are enabling the president's bad behavior while undercutting the presidential debate commission and doing a disservice to the American public. More than 100 top showrunners, producers, and stars have sent a petition to Comcast and NBC Universal executives protesting the timing of tonight's town hall with President Donald Trump. Wow. The list of heavyweights who signed the letter of protest includes J.J. Abrams, Law & Order SVU star Mariska Hargitay, This Is Us creator Dan Fogelman, and Ava DuVernay. Ooh, Wow. You mean Hollywood celebrities don't like a thing that's happening? So they wrote a letter? The stunning bravery. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of stunning bravery, later on in the show, we're going to deconstruct some culture because Demi Lovato has put out a piece of unbelievably, incomparably stunning bravery. The, the amazing stunning bravery of people in Hollywood to signal that they don't like Donald Trump. I mean, my God, listen, the career risk it requires in Hollywood to say that you don't like the orange man bad. My, these people should all be given Congressional Medals of Honor. These people, they're like the people who walked, who stormed the beaches of Normandy. They wrote a letter to NBC Universal saying that they're big mads and they have this ads about Donald Trump being on NBC answering questions from Savannah Guthrie. Oh, the bravery. Oh, the unbelievable courage. It's honestly, it's just, as an American, I'm just proud of them. Fireworks going off, screeching eagle, blue angels. Do it, man. This is America. And our Hollywood betters, they know that we should never, ever allow the sitting president of the United States to do a town, a town hall on network news. That's bad. And, and my, again, risky stuff. I mean, this is just like going up against Joe McCarthy in the 1950s. This is, this is what a moment. What a big moment for Hollywood. Standing up against the throngs of people in their industry who love Donald Trump. Uh, frankly, I can't believe it. I, I just, I cannot believe the incredible, courageous bravery of stunningness and stunning, courageous bravery I'm seeing right now. The petition was sent to Comcast CEO Brian Roberts, NBC Universal Chairman Jeff Schell, and NBC Universal News Group Chairman Cesar Conde told the executives, quote, you are enabling the president's bad behavior. They continued, this is not a partisan issue. This is about the political health of our democracy. Oh, it's not a partisan issue, is it? Because uh, any of those people on that list, Republicans? Like any? Like one? Any? No? No? Bueller? Bueller? The group includes such top NBC talent as Chris Maloney, and this is us star Sterling K. Brown, as well as heavyweights Aaron Sorkin, Greg Berlanti, Ryan Murphy, and Seth MacFarlane. Wow, with a list of diverse political people like that? I mean, that is clearly a bipartisan letter. How dare NBC provide a forum for Donald Trump? NBC provided a statement from Dr. H. Clifford Lane, clinical director of the National Institutes of, National Institutes of Health, in which he said that he and Dr. Anthony Fauci had reviewed at Trump's medical data and concluded with a high degree of confidence the president was not shedding infectious virus. NBC had said it would not rely solely on Trump's doctor's word. Even before the petition was drafted, numerous current and former NBC Universal staff members had expressed anger and disdain for the network's decision to schedule Trump's event at the same time as ABC's event with Biden. I don't think many of us are proud of this moment, one current NBC exec told THR. I love that. That's, that's true bravery, is that not only are you quoted opposing a thing about Donald Trump, you do so anonymously. That, that's big, bra big braves. Wow. Former NBC executive Vivian Schiller tweeted, the point of a news organization is to serve the public. This is the opposite. NBC News could literally run this any other day or any other time. Shameful. Former NBC anchor Katie Couric also tweeted, this is a bad decision. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. 
They wrote, we believe this kind of indifference to the norms and rules of our democracy are what have brought our country to this perilous state. Okay, I'm just going to point out that um, if we're talking about indifference to the norms and rules of our democracy, you literally are backing a candidate who will not answer whether he pledges to kill the Supreme Court by packing it, kill the filibuster, pack the Senate with additional states. You believe that constitutional freedoms ought to be overridden at the behest of a bare majority of social liberals. So, um, yeah, don't, don't lecture me on norms and decency when you're talking about whether the president should be able to answer questions on NBC News. Come the hell on. Absurdity. Absurdity at the highest level. But you know what? Adam Scott signed this letter. I mean, come on. So did Billy Eichner. I mean, if Billy Eichner signed a letter, if Billy, Billy Porter, I mean, St. God Billy Porter signed a letter, the guy who appeared at the DNC, I can't. It's nonpartisan, guys. Super duper nonpartisan. Well done, everybody. I mean, John Hamm signed this letter. I'm amazed. Kumail Nanjiani signed this letter. Patton Oswalt, the voice of the rat from Ratatouille, signed this letter. If, if, if the voice, of, if Seth Rogen signed this letter, a dude who hasn't been high, who hasn't been not high for more than 30 seconds in the past 25 years signed this letter, I'm on board. I'm on board. What, what a convincing show. Alec Baldwin signed it. My, can you get more informed on politics than Alec Baldwin? Okay, so all of this was the lead up to the, the NBC News interview with Trump, which of course, the, the ratings are coming in. It would be a shock if Trump did not get better, bigger ratings than Joe Biden, but that really doesn't matter. All of this was the lead up to what the onus was going to be for Savannah Guthrie. And the onus was going to be on her to be extremely mean to Trump, right? It wasn't going to be an honest question and answer session. It was going to be, so Mr. Orange Man, how orange are you? Orange Bad Man, how bad are you? Orange Bad Fat Man, how fat are you? And that was basically, <laughs> that was in fact the tone and tenor of this entire thing. We'll get to that in just one second. First, as you may have noticed, folks, we are just weeks away from a crucial election. Whether you are invested in the presidential election, whether you're invested in a Senate race, if you're a conservative, you need to get out there. You need to get active. And this means you need to go right now to keepamericaamerica.com. We are watching record turnout, particularly for Democrats in a lot of areas across the country. Republicans better get their game going right now. If you live in Ohio, early in-person voting has already started. Arizona, Michigan, these are all swing states. Okay, these are states where conservatives need to show up. And that's why I need you to go to keepamericaamerica.com right now. They'll get you the most trusted, up-to-date voting information. And while you're there, please commit to take one person to the polls, just one, or help them complete a mail-in ballot. The 2016 election was decided by thousands of votes, not millions. The swing states are still extremely close, no matter what the national polling says. 350,000 of you across the country have already gone to keepamericaamerica.com. I want to see that number reach a million or more. Make this the biggest get-out-the-vote effort in conservative history, one the left-wing media cannot ignore. Do a little, do a lot, do your part. This election is going to have tremendous ramifications for how you live your life, particularly if the Democrats were to take the presidency and the Senate. Things could go wildly wrong really quickly. Go to keepamericaamerica.com and do your part right now. Keepamericaamerica.com. Okay, so all the pressure was on NBC News last night to be very, very mean to Trump. And Trump predicted this, right? Trump came out. It was perfectly obvious this is how it was going to go. Trump came out. And, uh, and he suggested that the only reason he was going to do the town hall was because it represented a free hour of television. And he said, I know I'm walking into basically an ambush. He, he said that I'm doing this, this town hall on behalf of Concast, C-O-N, because it's a big con. So Trump knew exactly what this was going to be before he walked in. And I will say that overall, I thought that Trump handled himself fairly decently. His big problem is that Trump creates obstacles for himself that he then cannot overcome, right? He retweets dumb crap. And then when he's asked about the dumb crap, he feels the necessity to double down on the dumb crap. But was he really being asked serious questions? It was, it was the, I would say half of Savannah Guthrie's questions last night 
were about bad things Trump has tweeted. And the other half were about why Trump is so bad on COVID. So Savannah Guthrie interrupted Trump. She had, she had exchanges with Trump some 25 times last night, according to account from the Media Research Center, as opposed to Joe Biden, who was interviewed by a very friendly George Stephanopoulos, who basically got out the uh, massage oils and went to work on slow Joe. He, he, he allowed Joe to, to not only speak, but speak at length. He asked him very non-difficult questions for Joe Biden. He didn't interrupt him nearly at all. That was not the tenor for Savannah Guthrie. Producer Colton was watching this in real time and he was flipping back and forth. He told me this morning that if you wanted to back the narrative that Trump has created and, and has pointed out about the media disparity, all you had to do is flip channels. Because on one channel, you were watching Joe Biden have a cup of tea with George Stephanopoulos, former Clinton staffer Stephanopoulos. And on the other channel, you were watching Savannah Guthrie take out the old style 1960s paddle and just whack Trump with it. So here was Savannah Guthrie who earned herself a spot in the uh, in the Biden administration. And now the media are just reveling in this. I mean, they love it because this was the mandate, right? The mandate was she had to be mean to Trump and she was mean to Trump. So here is how Variety described Savannah Guthrie's performance, of course, because it's not about getting information to the American public. It is about how the anchors perform under pressure to be mean to the bad orange man who is orange, bad and fat. Here is Variety, quote, President Trump wanted to run and ramble. Savannah Guthrie wouldn't let him. Now, let's just point out, that Joe Biden has been running and rambling, running from cameras and rambling throughout this entire campaign, and the media have absolutely let him do it. But according to Variety, it was Savannah Guthrie, she pinned Trump down in what may be the performance of a career. Uh, okay, so first of all, the fact that we are now describing news anchors as performers is kind of gross, right? Normally, when you have news anchors asking questions, it shouldn't be, oh, they're performing. It was like that, that quote, performance of a career could describe both Glenn Close in the new Hillbilly Elegy trailer, and also Savannah Guthrie in this town hall with Trump. In what may be the performance of a career, the popular Today anchor kept a tight rein on the proceedings of a controversial town hall event in Miami with President Trump that put the network's parent, NBC Universal, in the crosshairs of critics and Hollywood A-listers. Many consumers have rebuked NBC for its decision to put Trump opposite a similar discussion his Democratic challenger Joe Biden had with ABC News and George Stephanopoulos at the same time. Okay, so again, the left creates a controversy, and then off the back of that controversy, they demand, they demand that the, the NBC News anchors perform as brutally to Trump as possible. For just under 60 minutes on NBC, Guthrie held Trump to account, asking him if he had in fact contracted pneumonia while infected, why he had a problem making a, definite, a definitive dismissal of white supremacy, telling him he had no legal defense against the release of his much sought after tax returns, asking him to denounce conspiracy theories held by some of his backers. She kept the president to short answers, and after he responded to various citizens in place to ask him questions, added fact checks and follow-ups. Even close observers of the news industry and the current outrageous political cycle gave her kudos. I'm impressed with Guthrie's preparedness so far. She's been ready for some of Trump's regular false claims, said Daniel Dale, the CNN fact-checking correspondent via Twitter. Daniel Dale has reached new levels of prominence because he does these sort of fact-checks where he takes everything that Trump says and then like down to the minutest detail, fact checks them while doing nothing similar to Joe Biden. Daniel Dale has been a partisan actor. He was, for, I think, with the Toronto Star, where he accused me of being responsible for a mass shooting. So he is really a fact-checking dude, Daniel Dale. Anyway, let's show you some of Savannah Guthrie, because the story last night was not Trump. Right? I thought, again, when, when Trump was asked an honest question and allowed to answer it, I thought he handled himself fairly decently. The biggest problems for Trump were, once again, the man's Twitter finger is extremely, extremely fast. Right, He's got that hair-trigger Twitter finger, and he fires off these tweets without thinking about them. And then he's asked about them. And because Trump has no oops in his body, he decides that he is going to double down on them. Those were the worst moments for him. 
But the real story of the night was indeed Savannah Guthrie showing her journalistic bona fides by harassing the president. Okay, so here she was debating Trump on mask wearing, and it really was a debate. I mean, as the Trump-Pence campaign, the Trump-Pence campaign put out a statement, they said, even though the commission canceled the in-person debate that could have happened tonight, one occurred anyway, and President Trump soundly defeated NBC's Savannah Guthrie in her role as debate opponent and Joe Biden's surrogate. President Trump masterfully handled Guthrie's attacks and interacted warmly and effectively with voters in the room. Over on NBC, it was a completely different scene as once again, Biden was kept comfortable and away from any questions that might challenge him. Americans can see that President Trump is leading the country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's Tim Murtaugh, the Trump 2020 communications director. Whatever you think of Trump's performance, the characterization of how the media treat the two candidates is obviously true. Here is, you'll see the compare and contrast here. Here's Savannah Guthrie debating Trump on mask wearing. If everyone wore a mask, you could cut expected deaths in half. Yeah, 60,000 lives. Well, what does that Scott mean? Scott Atkins, if you look at Scott, Dr. Scott, he's from great guys, Stanford. He will tell you he's that he's not he an infectious disease you. expert. Oh, no, I don't know. Look, he's an expert. He's one of the great experts of the world. But I don't get it because you have so much power and influence as president. I'm you could go it. to your, you could require way. it at your rallies I and you could say, everyone put on a mask right now. And the University of Washington says Savannah, you could save University lives. University of Washington, and you have other places different things. Okay, so again, that is not Savannah Guthrie asking a question. That is Savannah Guthrie talking over him and not allowing him to answer the question. And by the way, there are a good number of doctors, including doctors for the Greater Barrington Declaration, which is now being, which is now being basically suppressed by social media. The Great Barrington Declaration essentially suggests that if you are young and healthy, then you should be pursuing herd immunity. Right? If you're 20 years old, then you probably shouldn't be wearing a mask as long as you stay away from people who are older and vulnerable. And when Trump says that there is still controversy over masking, there is controversy over masking. In Northern Europe, a lot of countries don't mask. Scandinavia does not mask. Okay, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't mask when we're in close quarters, particularly with elderly and vulnerable people. Again, I think that there's a fairly clear standard here. If you're alone on a beach, you shouldn't mask. I don't think that three-year-old children should be masking. My son is going to school right now. He is four. They are making him wear a mask. I think it's absurd. I think that, that four-year-olds masking is ridiculous. I don't think they can properly wear masks. I think even if they do properly wear masks, they're not at grave risk from this virus. I think if a four-year-old is in close coordination with a 65-year-old, that is a different story. Okay, that is what the science tends to show. Because again, if a four-year-old gets COVID, four-year-old is fine. If a 65-year-old or a 70-year-old gets COVID, math changes. Hey, with all of that said, that, that's Savannah Guthrie debating Trump. That is not Savannah Guthrie asking Trump a question. Okay, and it was like this all night. So she badgered him about voter fraud, right? Trump has said that there could be widespread voter fraud. And she said, well, no, 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 there's no widespread voter fraud. And he said, right, but there could be the possibility of widespread voter fraud, and we should be aware of that. And she just was not having any of it. There is, in fact, no evidence of widespread fraud. And you were sowing doubt how, about our democracy. How, how our democracy. How can you say that? You do read newspapers. Do. You do watch the news. Yes, I know you read the I news, do. but do you watch it? I do. Because every day they're talking about ballots that are corrupt, that are fraudulent. And millions that are, are sure. being processed right sure. now. Sure, but you can win a race. Take a look at me. You can win a race by 1%. But why are you laying the groundwork for that right now? It's I'm like not. if I, I go don't play tennis to with my husband and I say my ankle's hurting you know right now. I don't want that to happen. Okay, well, what is she even talking about? Tennis and her husband and her ankle and all this. This was not a question, right? She wasn't asking him a question and then letting him answer the question and then hitting him with a follow-up. She was just lecturing him, which is what members of the media in Hollywood wanted her to do. The, I thought the worst exchange for Guthrie was clearly on white supremacy, clearly. So, so Democrats, the media, they've had this, this lie that they've been promoting for years, which is that Trump is actually a white supremacist. That covertly, he's a white supremacist. He likes white supremacists. Okay, that, that is a lie. Even in Charlottesville, where I harangued him for not being fast enough 
to condemn white supremacists on the first day because he said there were many people there with many different views on the first day, and then he corrected it. And then in that second statement, which happened on Saturday, he overtly said when he was talking about, quote unquote, good people, he said, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis. I'm not talking about the white supremacists who should be thoroughly condemned. That is a direct quote. Okay, that, that or at least a very close paraphrase. The media have never let go of this bone. And so they have been asking him in every single interview to condemn white supremacy. And he, in every single interview, does. And then they go, right, but you won't. And he's like, but I just did. They're like, Bob, but you're not. And he's like, but, but, I, but I am. They're like, yeah, but you're not right now. And he's like, oh, but I am condemning it right now. Like, ah, oh, but when you said that, that was one second ago. That's now in the past. So will you do it right now? He's like, absolutely, I condemn white supremacy. And they're like, yeah, but that was now three seconds ago when I'm asking you this question. So I'm gonna need you to do it again right now because every second that passes means that what you said is in the past. So I don't believe you anymore. What are you doing right now? That's, that's pretty much how this debate with Savannah Guthrie went. It was, it was pretty absurd. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that some of your employees, you know, they might need to be replaced. And some of your employees might really need some work. So, you know, we have employees at the Daily Wire who, let's just say that, that when they hook up with somebody via Skype or on a Zoom call, these employees may see some things that, uh, that they then convey to the rest of the staff. When, when the reality is that this creates a bit of a problem for the rest of the staff, because now they've been subjected to, uh, to the stories being told by this particular employee. We'll call him Nick. And let's say that, you know, you kind of want a memory hole, Nick. And so what you decide to do is replace Nick via ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter will send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites. They don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then actively invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter makes hiring efficient and effective with features like screening questions to filter candidates and an all-in-one dashboard where you can review and rate your candidates. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. Right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire at ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. And by the way, if you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is a great place to start. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire to get started. Okay, so the worst exchange for Guthrie, and this, of course, is one the media celebrated most, was Savannah Guthrie going after Trump on white supremacy. Again, Trump has condemned this thing like 1,000 times. And every exchange about white supremacy goes the same way. Will you condemn white supremacy? Sure. Then do it. I just did. Do it now. Okay, I condemn white supremacy. Why aren't you more enthusiastic about your condemnation? Okay, this is just, uh, th- this exchange was particularly bad. Savannah Guthrie, of course, got kudos from the rest of the media. She's, her star is rising, guys. Because remember, opposing Trump is stunning and brave. So if you oppose Trump, it's stunning and brave. And you're really risking everything, like possibly a giant raise. Or, you know, a move into like that 60 minutes rule. I mean, these are serious career risks that you take when you are mean to President Trump. Here is, here's Savannah Guthrie asking Trump about white supremacy for the one millionth time. I denounced white supremacy, okay? You did I denounced white supremacy for years, but you always do it. You always start off with a well, question. You didn't ask Joe Biden whether or not he denounces Antifa. I watched him on the same basic show with Lester Holt. And he was asking questions like Biden was a child. Well, well so th- this so is a little bit ready? of a dodge. Are you, wait, are you listening? I denounce white supremacy. Okay. What's your next question? Do you feel, it feels sometimes you're hesitant to do so. Like you hesitant. wait a bit. Here we go again. Every time, in fact, my people came. I'm sure they'll ask you the white supremacy question. I denounce white supremacy. He, okay, that, that, again, that exchange is amazing. She's like, I denounce white supremacy. She's like, but were you enthusiastic enough? He's like, yeah, but I just did. 
You know, you should, why, why won't my opponents condemn Antifa or Black Lives Matter? They won't do that. And she's like, yeah, but you won't denounce white supremacy. He's like, I literally just did. I mean, this was Jordan Peterson and Kathy Newman. Right? You remember that Jordan Peterson, Kathy Newman interview where she was like, so you hate women. He's like, no, I really don't. I really don't. I don't. I, no, no. And <laughs> it was that, right? Do you condemn white supremacy? Sure, of course. But how enthusiastically? Are you going to go out there and like help me hunt down the KKK? And what do you think? Donald, let's go out there and do it now. You willing to do that? Like, what are you? <sighs> okay, so Guthrie was bad. That said, and, and Trump had some good moments. I mean, there were people who, who asked him kind of funny questions. One lady got up and told him he was very handsome and you could see Trump glowing from the inside. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, but the, uh, there, there were a couple of moments that were just bad for Trump. And the reason they were bad for Trump, and these are the ones that will, of course, go viral, is because Trump makes trouble for himself on Twitter. Twitter is very bad for Trump. I know everybody hates when I say this. It happens to be true. If Donald Trump had dropped his phone in a toilet on January 21st, 2017, he would be up in the polls by five points right now. No one needs a window into Trump's mind. It's kind of a crazy place. And the fact that Trump tweets out crazy things and retweets crazy things, and then he's asked questions about them, and then his natural instinct is to defend the crazy thing that he tweeted is not particularly a good look. I mean, today, how bad is Twitter for Trump? Today, Donald Trump went on Twitter. There was a piece from our friends over at the, at the Babylon Bee. Okay, and this piece over at the Babylon Bee, suggests, so Twitter had an outage yesterday for like 90 minutes. Twitter was just completely down. And Trump and the, and the Babylon Bee wrote a piece making fun of Twitter, right? Saying that Twitter had shut down all of Twitter in order to stop Trump, right? That is obviously making a joke about the fact that Twitter shut down this New York Post story in order to, in order to stop Trump, right? That, that was the joke. Trump immediately tweeted out that this was a real story, right? Trump tweeted out that the that Twitter actually had done this, that big T, meaning Twitter, <laughs> had done this. Twitter shuts down entire network to slow spread of negative Biden news. Wow, this has never been done in history. This includes his really bad interview last night. Why is Twitter doing this? Bringing more attention to Sleepy Joe and Big T. Um, so what? He said that Big T was not a reference to me. It was rather a reference to Big Tech, which should have been properly pointed out in Twitter's fake trending section. Okay, does, does any of this help? I mean, that, that is, okay. So that's just a dumb thing that Trump tweeted today. Those kinds of things, they allow the media to avoid focusing in on Joe Biden, which is what Trump needs if he wishes to win. So Gu Guthrie focused in on Trump's tweets because this is the easiest way to do a negative inter with, interview with Trump is to point out the fact that the guy tweets on the toilet all day long and that he tweets some dumb things. So here she was going after Trump on QAnon. Do you think that Trump has great familiarity with QAnon? Like, this is a pretty easy answer, is the truth. He should just say QAnon's stupid. This is garbage. But Trump will never do that. If the media prompt him to do a thing, he won't do it. To understand Donald Trump as a human being, all you have to know is that he was told not to look directly into a solar eclipse. So he took off his glasses and looked directly into a solar eclipse. I remember the picture. Right? Everybody else was, they had the glasses on, so they didn't damage their eyes. And Trump's like, like, oh, look at me. I'm Superman. Check this out. And he just looks directly. Right, that, that is Trump. So if the media tell him a thing, he will say precisely the opposite. So if the media are like, President Trump, there's a rumor online that you built the moon out of, out of cow farts. You built it. Like you make the farts material and you built the moon out of cow farts. There is that rumor going around online. Will you condemn that rumor? Trump like, I don't believe you. And maybe I did. I don't know. Perhaps I'll have to investigate my paper. Okay, so that's what happened with QAnon last night. This, of course, is going to be the viral clip. Making Stepping on rakes is not a good look. This is not smart. Now, again, several things can be true at once. Savannah Guthrie 
can be a horrifyingly partisan interviewer. And also, Donald Trump should not have tweeted this stupid garbage and then defended it. So here was Donald Trump defending sort of, kind of QAnon, sort of. Here, here, was, here was Trump going off on QAnon, which, by the way, is like eight people. Disavow QAnon yeah. in its entirety? I know nothing about QAnon. I just told I you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. I hate to say that. Republican, Republican Senator Ben Sass said, quote, QAnon is nuts, and real leaders call conspiracy theories conspiracy theories. He may be Why right. not just say it's crazy and not true? He may be right. I just don't know about QAnon. You do know. I don't know. No, I don't know. Okay, so he says he doesn't know, and, and it's probably true. I mean, it's probably true. He doesn't sit around actually reading the QAnon theories. All Trump knows in politics is when people like you, then you just say nice things about them. This is true from Kim Jong-un to Vladimir Putin. This has been Trump's MO forever. If somebody says a nice thing about him, he immediately gives them the benefit of the doubt because everything is refracted through the prism of Trump's ego. Every single thing in the world is, this is his big problem as a person. It's his big problem as a president. Everything is refracted through the prism of his own ego. It's true for Barack Obama, too. It's just that Trump is very, he's much more gauche about it. Okay, it, it, same kind of thing yesterday. Trump retweeted a bizarre conspiracy theory about how Osama bin Laden was not actually killed on Barack Obama's orders, and it was all staged and, and crap like this. So, so again, this, this provides an easy avenue of attack for Savannah Guthrie, who went after Trump on this. Why would you send a lot like that to your followers? You retweeted That was a retweet. That was a, an opinion of somebody. But, and that was a retweet. I'll put it out there. People can decide for themselves. I don't the take president. a position. You're not like someone's crazy uncle who no, can no, just retweet no, no. whatever. That was a retweet. And I do a lot of retweets. And frankly, because the media is so fake and so corrupt, if I didn't have social media, I don't call it Twitter, I call it social media, I wouldn't be able to get the word out. And the well, word the is... Okay, this defense you know is insufficient. Okay, it's true that he, he uses Twitter to get a message out. The messages he chooses to get out are very often stupid. So, Savannah Guthrie doing her best to justify NBC News even holding this event by going after Trump on issues small and stupid and really avoiding some of the larger issues in the country right now. Meanwhile, you flipped on over the channel and Joe Biden was just sitting out there on a Hawaiian beach, sipping a cocktail with an umbrella in it. Yeah, you know, basically just lounging around, having somebody massage his weird hairy leg or something. That, that, that's what was going on over on the other news networks. So, so much newsiness going on. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that right now, things are wild out there. We got global pandemic, civil unrest, politicians who are threatening to infringe on your inalienable right to defend yourself. Emotions are running very high in the country. You see it on the news. Peaceful protests turning violent, riots in the street, law enforcement not staffed to handle all emergencies. More and more law-abiding Americans are buying guns, like right now. In fact, you may be one of the millions who've recently purchased a gun for self-defense. Now, here's the question. Are you prepared? Do you know how to use it? Do you know under what circumstances you can legally use it? You need proper education with a firearm. You need industry-leading training to ensure your skills are sharp when you are faced with danger. And you need the nation's best legal protection should you, God forbid, find yourself lost in the aftermath of a self-defense incident. You need my friends at the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. Get started today by texting GUN to 87222. You'll receive the complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide for free. In this guide, you'll learn how to detect attackers before they see you, how to survive a mass shooting, seven firearms drills that could save your life, and much, much more. It is 164 pages. It comes with a bonus audio version so you can listen whenever you want. In addition, if you text today, you'll be entered to win 1000 bucks to put toward a gun of your choice that you can use to protect your family. Text GUN, G-U-N, to 87222 right now. Text GUN to 87222 right now to get started with my friends over at the USCCA, an amazingly good organization, a really great organization. Okay. Meanwhile, George Stephanopoulos over on ABC was giving 
Joe Biden a back rub. The entire news cycle over the last 48 hours has been about this Hunter Biden story, where it turns out that Hunter Biden was brokering influence in Ukraine. Not a single question from Stephanopoulos. Not one. We got questions about every other topic. No real hard follow-ups, but not a single question about Hunter Biden. No, no, no. Don't worry. The media are perfectly objective, guys. Joe Biden was having the time of his life, man. Things were just going fantastically. Now, that doesn't mean that Joe Biden said many coherent things. In fact, Joe Biden said many things that were um, quite bizarre, and some of them were quite radical. He changed his positions on some pretty core issues. So let's start with the bizarre and the, and the radical. So Joe Biden was specifically asked about police action. He has said this stupid thing in the past, and he said it again last night. He suggested that we need to train the police to shoot people in the leg. This is a talking point by morons. This is a talking point for people who don't know anything about policing and don't know anything about guns. This is not Gene Wilder in Blazing Saddles, guys. I mean, first, honestly, if we're going to do this, then really, they shouldn't even shoot the attacker in the leg. What they should do is shoot the, the gun or weapon out of an attacker's hand. Right? That's what, They should shoot the trigger finger. They should make it so that you can't pull the trigger finger like in the movies. This is what Joe Biden actually thinks. Okay, so the way that law enforcement actually works is that in the heat of the moment, when you have a mo just a split second to react, many of the shots go wild. This is why you are taught to fire until the threat is neutralized. You are taught to fire at center of body mass, specifically because very often you cannot aim at a particular part of the body. This comes from somebody who obviously has never really tried handling a handgun, and certainly not in a pressure situation. This idiotic notion that you can train police to shoot at limbs is the stupidest garbage ever put forth by people who talk about guns. So here's Joe Biden. He, he's done this multiple times, and it's amazing. No one asks, where's the follow-up from George Stephanopoulos? Why is it that not a single police department in America trains people to shoot at limbs? Because you cannot do that. It does not work. Here is Joe Biden laying this forth because he's an idiot. There's a lot of things we've learned, and it takes time, but we can do this. You can ban chokeholds. You can, but, you, but the, beyond that, you have to teach people how to de-escalate circumstances, de-escalate. So instead of anybody coming at you, and the first thing you do is shoot to kill, you shoot them in the leg. Shoot them in the leg. Shoot them in the leg. That's the, if, if, instead of shooting to kill, shoot them in the leg. Uh-huh. That's, that's, that's amazing. Why, I don't understand. Why, doesn't, why don't the cops take out a lightsaber and just like, you know, melt the bullets that are being shot at them and then go over and disarm the person by like cutting off their arm like Luke Skywalker does or like, like Obi-Wan Kenobi or something. In fact, why, doesn't, why, don't, why don't the cops just use Wonder Woman's lasso of truth and actually just like... This is a, a presidential candidate who's supposed to be your serious presidential candidate. Speaking of serious presidential candidates, Joe Biden was asked once again on court packing. Once again, he declined to answer. Joe, he was not pressed by George Stephanopoulos. He said, don't worry, I'll tell you at some point. At some point, you'll find out. I mean, that point may never come. But sometime in the future, I mean, the future is is full of murkiness and undecidedness. So at some point, I'll probably tell you. Here is Joe Biden not being asked a difficult question. If they vote on it That's before the election, day. if they vote on it before the election, you are open to expanding the court? I'm open to considering what happens from that point on. You know, you said so many times during the campaign, all through the course of your career, it's important to level with It the is, American but George, if I, if I say, no matter what answer I gave you, if I say it, that's the headline tomorrow. It won't be about what's going on now, the improper way they're proceeding. But don't voters have a right to know where you they stand? They do have a right to know where they stand, and they'll have a right to know where I stand before they vote. So you'll come out with a clear position before Election Day? Yes, depending on how they handle this. Depending on how they handle this. I love that. Okay, so what should George Stephanopoulos' answer there be? Clearly, if he were a journalist, or if you were going to Savannah Guthrie this thing, he would say, okay, why not right now? Like, I'm looking at my watch here, Joe. And it turns out that today is, in fact, 
October 15th. And the election is going to be held in approximately two and a half weeks. So you're running out of time. So why not do it like right now? What's preventing you from doing it like right now? And instead, Joe Biden's like, well, you know, I'm just not going to tell you. You know, everything's good. And George Stephanopoulos is like, okay, Joe. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair. Not fair enough. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. The George Stephanopoulos. That's some harsh questioning right there. It shows you the media's standard for themselves. The media's standard is that if you are interviewing a Republican, you should act like Savannah Guthrie. And if, you are at, if you're interviewing Joe Biden, you should act like a doormat. That is the media double standard. And again, that doesn't alleviate the fact that Trump handled some questions badly last night and then he tweets dumb crap. These are separate issues. The media bias is very real. There's a reason conservatives distrust the media. There's a reason they distrust social media that continue to promote mainstream media. Okay, but back to Biden. So Biden said many, many radical things last night. And he said yesterday that small children should be able to transition. I know that we're just going to gloss over this thing, but this is insane. This is insane. So uh, a mother of a child who believes that he is transgender, an eight-year-old, eight years old, gets up and says, you know, Joe, what are you going to do for kids like mine, a boy who believes he's a girl, who believes he is transgender? And Joe Biden says, we should allow eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds to transition. Those are children. So what he's talking about right now is allowing the treatment of a boy as a girl, not watchful waiting, but an eight-year-old says, I think I'm a girl today, and that kid is a boy. And you say, okay, darling, and then you go out and buy, and, and you call them your daughter. You literally start treating the boy as a girl. Okay, this is not best medical practice. There is not evidence to back that this is a good idea. But this is the left propaganda, which is that you can identify as a member of the opposite sex, right? You can, you can just pick your opposite sex at the age of eight. At the age of eight, here is Joe Biden spilling this one out there. And, and he's going to effectuate federal policy in order to make this clear. So if you are a religious school, for example, then he is going to make it so that if a little boy comes in and he now wants to identify as a little girl and he wants to go to the girls' school, right? Because in a lot of religious communities, you have a separate boys' school and a separate girls' school, mainly because once they hit teenage years, you want to keep those kids separated. Okay, but they, they have separate boys' schools and separate girls' schools. This is very traditional in the religious community. It's very traditional in the Jewish community, Catholic community, evangelical Protestant community, that Joe Biden will be the kind of person who believes that you should be able to take your boy and enlist that kid in the girls' school. And the school should simply deal with it. Not only that, he believes, I mean, on a fundamental level, believing that an eight-year-old should be able to transition is madness. It's absolute madness. I wouldn't let my eight, I have a six-year-old. I would not let her choose how to cut her own hair, let alone how to shape her own sexual future. That's insane. And the, uh, uh, the it's, it's crazy. It's one thing you're talking about a 20-year-old. It's, an, it's another thing. I mean, there, there are problems too. But if you're 20, at least you have the ability to think things through in consent. If you're eight, you don't. But here is Joe Biden yesterday basically standing up for the ability of eight-year-olds to transition. The idea that an eight-year-old child or a 10-year-old child decides, you know, I decided I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It may make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination. There is no reason to suggest that there should be any right denied your daughter or daughters, whichever, one or two, one. one, your daughter, that your other daughter has a right to be and do. None. Zero. Okay, it's not discrimination to deny a boy access to a girl's locker room. It is not discrimination to deny a boy, eight years old, the ability to hormonally transition. The hell is he talking about? That is radical stuff. I know that the media portrays this as mainstream. That is deeply radical. And not only that, it will reach the the point in American politics in very, very short order, because you're already seeing the early indicators, where if you as a parent say no to this, the government will in intervene. And, and Joe Biden will back that. 
If you have an eight-year-old and your eight-year-old goes to school, your eight-year-old boy goes to school, and he says to the teacher, I feel like a girl today. And then the next day, your eight-year-old boy goes to school and he tells the teacher, you know, I went home, I told mommy I feel like a girl. And mommy said, you're not a girl, you're a boy. The teacher calls Child Protective Services. Okay, we are, we are this far from that. You watch. Within the next five years, this will become rote. Okay, that, that is something that, that is incredibly dangerous to children. It's incredibly dangerous to families. It's incredibly dangerous to basic human reason. What Joe Biden said there is radical. It is radical and it is, to, to say an eight-year-old should be able to transition is, is pretty horrifying on every possible level. Okay, but it's treated as totally, not only normal, but sympathetic and good. Because eight-year-olds should be able to make their own decisions on everything, including what sex they are in contravention of reality. All right, that is your moderate. That is your moderate candidate, Joe Biden. Okay, then moderate Joe Biden also came out and he said that he wanted to encourage mask mandates. He, he, he said, he was asked about national mask mandates. Now, he has a problem. He cannot legally mandate a mask from the, from the top down. You can't do that. At the national government level, you don't have the authority to do that. So we'll get to Joe Biden's answer on that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that your sleep quality matters. It matters to me. My kids wake me up at all hours of the night in those brief moments when I do get a chance to sleep. I need to be on a great mattress, and that is why I love Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep, they've got a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete. They match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or from bed with Helix, there is no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine. CNN calls it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They even have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you absolutely will. Sleep is very important to me. It's important to my wife. That's why we have our personalized mattress from Helix Sleep. Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders for our listeners. Get up to 200 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Get a mattress made just for you because after all, you're a unique human and you require a unique mattress. Go check them out right now at helixsleep.com slash Ben. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Okay, we'll get to more of this in just one second. First, you don't want to miss another great episode of the Sunday special coming up this weekend. We'll be joined by journalist Megyn Kelly to discuss the media bias against Trump, Roger Ailes in the movie Bombshell, why she left Fox, and the real question, what is her take on her interaction with Trump during the 2016, 2016 Republican presidential campaign? So go watch early over at dailywire.com or listen this Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. You, if you want to see a bit of the trailer, you asked for it. Here it is. I'm worried about the kids who get this, the teenagers who get maligned as awful bigots, racists, xenophobes, transphobes, just for having an opinion that may not go with the, you know, the mainstream now. How the media shames people out of an honestly held or a religiously held opinion on controversial issues. And it's gonna get worse unless people speak up. Trump is shifting his campaign into high gear these last few days before the election, ramping up all the big rallies. Oh, the rallies. Today at 3.45 p.m. Eastern, 12.45 p.m. Pacific, Michael Moles will be hosting a live watch party as part of a special edition of All Access Live. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe right now to get 20% off your All Access membership with coupon code RALLY. A Daily Wire All Access membership, it gives you complete access to live online discussions with our hosts over at dailywire.com, as well as two leftist tears tumblers and early, sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. Again, that is dailywire.com slash subscribe. Get 20% off an all access membership with coupon code rally. There's a limited time offer, so act fast to join Michael today. (laughs) 
Okay, so speaking of Joe Biden and his answers, so he was asked about masking. So Trump was asked about masking. Why don't you mandate masks? Why don't you recommend masks? Joe Biden had said he would be in favor of a national mask mandate. Then he realized that you can't legally do that. So his solution is, I'm going to ask local mayors to tell people to mask. Wow, well, if Joe Biden asks people, clearly they're going to do it. Clearly, you're going to get local mayors down in the middle of Texas who are like, you know, Joe Biden called me. I think I'm going to tell everybody that they are forced by law to mask now. Here was Joe Biden last night. You can't mandate a mask, but you can say you can go to every governor and get them all in a room, all 50 of them as president, and say, ask people to wear the mask. Everybody knows. And if they don't, fine. And they don't. No, not fine. Then I go to every governor. I go to every mayor. I go to every councilman. I go to every local official. Say, mandate the mask. Man, say, this is what you have to do when you're out. Make sure you encourage it being done. Wow. Well, you know, that, that problem solved. He's asking people to do a thing. Incredible, incredible. Also, he did change his position on taxes. So finally, Joe Biden recognized that saying that he was going to repeal Trump's tax cuts raises your taxes, which, by the way, fact checkers had said was false, right? They said that if you said that Trump, that, that Biden repealing tax cuts was going to raise your taxes, that that was fact checked false. It turns out it was fact checked true. How do we know? Because now Biden is changing his position. He says, I'm not going to repeal all of Trump's tax cuts. I'm only going to repeal the tax cuts for the people who earn the most. Here was, here was Biden subtly changing his position, which nobody apparently finds newsworthy. What is your plan for either extending the tax cuts for the middle class or creating a new plan that further reduces those taxes? I carry this card with me. When I said the, tax, the Trump tax cuts, about $1.3 trillion of the $2 trillion in his tax cuts went to the top one-tenth of 1%. That's what I'm talking about eliminating, not all the tax cuts that are out there. Oh, is that? Oh, because you've said that you're going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. So uh, now you're changing your position pretty publicly. Okay, just putting that out there. Apparently, that is all that matters. Now he's changed his position. So I guess I guess we're good now. Finally, Joe Biden concluded by saying he's going to be a unifying president, which um, comes as kind of a shock to everybody who's watched Joe Biden across the course of his career. A black voter asked him, so, you know, you keep saying things about race. I'm just wondering if you have anything to appeal to black voters with other than you're not black if you don't vote for me. And here was Biden's answer. Unless we are able to treat people equally, we're, ne we're just ne never going to meet our potential. But I think the American people want to see that happen. I think they're ready to see it happen. And I tell you one thing, if I'm elected president, you will not hear me race baiting. You'll not hear me dividing. You'll hear me trying to unify and unify with bring people together. When I said I was running because I wanted to unify the country, people said, well, there were the old days. We better be able to do it again. We're going to unify again, says Joe Biden, a man who said that Mitt Romney is going to put black people back in chains. Yes, I, Joe, no, no one has been as unifying as, as Joe Biden over the course of his career, from a criminal justice to now rejecting his own criminal justice in 1994, from suggesting that America is systemically racist to saying that you're not black if you don't vote for him. No one has done racial unity quite like Joe Biden. I mean, what, 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 a, what a dude. What a stellar, stellar dude, Joe Biden. Okay, so that was the story of last night. The story of last night was these contrasts. Obviously, there are contrasts between Joe Biden and how he acts and how Donald Trump acts. And those were exacerbated last night by the media coverage. But here's the thing. No matter how the election goes, the media are going to be with us no matter how the election goes after the election. And the mask is off. The mask is completely off the media. It is very obvious exactly where they stand. They're being clear and obvious about it. They recast their responsibility over the course of Trump's presidency. They used to say that we were here to provide balance. Then they decided it was false balance to give any credibility at all to conservative claims. That was false balance, you see, because conservatism is false. Therefore, true balance is, is just butt-wiping 
liberalism while hammering conservatism. That's real balance because the facts require you to yell at conservatives and to be super nice to liberals. That's what facts require. True balance is not false balance. True balance is you ask hard questions to conservatives and you ask easy questions to liberals. And that's what the media are here to do. To me, that's a bigger and more long-lasting issue than whatever happens in the upcoming election in early November. Okay, so speaking of that, speaking of issues that are going to long outlast this election, we have to talk about the continuing fallout from this social media debacle. So social media stepped in it over the last 48 hours in an unprecedented way. They decided to ban the distribution of a New York Post story that they could not debunk. So there was this New York Post story. It was Hunter Biden's emails come out. One of those emails suggests that Hunter Biden has brokered a meeting between a Burisma executive and Joe Biden. Joe Biden's people originally say it was not officially on the calendar. Then later they say, okay, maybe there was a little bit of a meeting. Now, that doesn't mean that Joe Biden shaped Ukraine policy in order to benefit his son, Biden, Hunter. It does mean that Joe Biden has for years been looking the other way while members of his family trade off his name to make money, which is a tacit promise of some sort of corrupt relationship between Biden and the rest of his family. Because if Biden were truly going to be the upstanding moral character that he purports to be, he would have said to his family, stop using my name in order to make money by promising access to me that I'm not going to give. That's not a moral thing to do. It may not be illegal for you to do what you're doing, but it is certainly corrupt. Right, Joe Biden could have, So the media didn't like this story. And so they decided to quash the story. So Twitter put out a standard. They said that we don't want to put out this story at all. They blocked people from tweeting out the URL. They blocked people's accounts if they did tweet out the URL. And they said they were doing this to prevent unauthorized material from getting out there, which, by the way, is every single news story for the last 50, 60 years is an unauthorized leak. Half of news is unauthorized leaks. So it's fairly obvious what was going on. And the Biden team used the Twitter ban as a point in favor of the falsity of the story. So look at the circular reasoning here. A story comes out from The New York Post. The Biden team denies it on the basis of the Biden team denying it purely on that based on nothing else. Twitter and Facebook decide that they're going to restrict the distribution of the story. Then the Biden team says, hey, look, Twitter and Facebook are restricting the story. It must be false. It's perfectly circular. Biden says it's false. Twitter follows Biden. Biden follows Twitter. It's unbelievable. Here is a Biden press secretary yesterday saying Twitter censored it. So obviously it's false. I think Twitter's response to the actual uh, uh, article itself uh, makes clear that these uh, you know, purported allegations are false uh, and they're not true. Uh, and glad to, you know, to see uh, you know, um, social media companies like Twitter taking responsibility to limit misinformation. Oh, so now that, now that Facebook and Twitter have declared it to not be worthy of distribution, it's false. Now, again, nobody's actually debunked any of the claims in the article. Nobody. And mainstream media have not done it. They didn't wait to even have a fact checker look at it. That it but if, if, by the way, you think that Twitter and Facebook just killed the story on their own, I have some doubts. I would love to see the call log between the heads of Facebook and Twitter and the Biden campaign. You know that somebody at the Biden campaign called them up and they were like, this story's false. It's Russian disinformation. Kill it. You know that's how this went. You know that it wasn't just Twitter and Facebook on their own saying, oh, well, you know what? I think, I think that we've got some problems with the story. How bad are our media? How truly awful are they at their jobs? So Jake Sherman, Jake Sherman of Politico, Politico's playbook. He works for NBC News and MSNBC. He issued an apology on Twitter for having tweeted the link. I'm not kidding. Now, a normal journalistic response to tweeting a link from a mainstream paper like the New York Post and then being banned for it or suspended for it is, what is this service doing? Isn't this a crackdown on the free press? I'm told that every time Trump says something nasty about the press, that he is violating the rights of the free press. I keep hearing this over and over and over. Here, you have actual journalists being silenced on Twitter 
for tweeting out a link and the journalists go on bended knee and ask for forgiveness. Jake Sherman tweeted this. I tweeted a link to the New York Post story right after it dropped yesterday morning. I immediately reached out to the Biden campaign to see if they had any answer. I wish I had given the story a closer read before tweeting it. Twitter suspended me. My goal was not to spread information. My goal was to raise questions about the story as I did in subsequent tweets and see how the Biden campaign was going to respond. They later did respond. My account is clearly no longer suspended. I deleted the tweet. Okay, the journalists deserve all the scorn they receive. Seriously, Jake Sherman is a top journalist. He does some good reporting. That's nuts. He tweeted out a link to another story. Twitter suspended his account and he apologized for having tweeted the link. Imagine if this had come from the Trump administration, that Jake Sherman had put out a piece of information and the Trump administration had done something in retaliation. That would be a violation of every First Amendment standard. Now, I understand the government is not the same thing as Twitter or Facebook, but the fact that he is apologizing for it is the problem, right? I'm, I'm not focusing in on the action so much as I am on the reaction. You have social media actively telling journalists they cannot tweet links that Twitter and Facebook don't like. And journalists going, oh, well, you know, if they say so, and if it was offensive to Biden, I guess I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I mean, this is a Maoist struggle session on Twitter. And frankly, until he actually brings some form of animal sacrifice in penitence for what he has done here, I think it's completely insufficient. Unless he does the work and does the reading, I think that Jake Sherman should not be let back into the good halls of society. It's amazing stuff. Hey, all of this has, this is, it's such a, it's such a self-owned by the social media companies because the only people who are out there defending the freedom of the social media companies were people with conservative slash libertarian leanings like me. And you just cut out all the ground from under us. Trump yesterday suggested that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act should be rewritten to remove protections for companies like Twitter and Facebook. Now, I've been a defender of Section 230. Section 230 was originally written in order to allow people to moderate their comments. The basic theory was this. You had a comment section on a site like Daily Wire. It was being spammed with pornography, or it was being spammed with garbage or abuse. And now you could remove all of that content. Because before, the idea was that if you remove that content, then you were responsible for all the content in your comment section because you were editing it. And now you were legally liable in the same way as if I hire a writer over at Daily Wire. Communications Decency Act Section 230 says, no, you're not responsible for your comment section, but you can curate the content so that you don't end up with a trash heap in your comment section. We're not going to punish you for making your comment section less garbagey. Okay, this has been used by Twitter and by Facebook to curate content in a politically partisan way, most obviously this time, right? Most obviously this time. And that results in conservatives saying, okay, well, then maybe we should change Section 230. I don't think there's a legislative fix along that particular line, but there is an attempt right now in Congress to curb Section 230 in one particular way that's not completely objectionable. Here was Trump talking about Section 230. He and his family are crooked and they were caught. They got caught. Now they're being protected by big tech. And if big tech persists in coordination with the mainstream media, we must immediately strip them of their Section 230 protection. Okay, it's very simple. Okay, so the problem, of course, is that that gets rid of any open thread site, right? It gets rid of Reddit, it gets rid of YouTube, it gets rid of our comment section. We'll just take down our comment section. If we become liable for what our commenters are saying, bite into the fact that if you curate the comments, you have a choice. You can either curate or not curate. Now, and if you curate, you're now responsible for the comments. All commentary sections goes away. Right, this is the big, big problem. There is one proposal that's on the table that seems a little bit better. That is a proposal to change the standard in Section 230. So Section 230 says, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable. 
It's the otherwise objectionable phraseology that people are now looking to change because that's a catch-all, right? I think we all agree. If somebody is posting porn in your comments, you should be able to remove it. I think if somebody is posting stuff that is obviously racist, you should be able to remove it. If somebody is harassing somebody in your comment section, you should be able to remove it. But there is a case to be made that otherwise objectionable is too broad because it basically is a catch-all that allows you to act as a publisher by default, right? That you're now editing your comment section to only allow commentary from NBC News, right? And so now you're basically responsible for, you're just a mirror of NBC News, right? That is the argument. And it's, it's not a completely non-compelling argument. I think there is also a case to strip liability protections for fraudulent, for fraudulent implementation of your own policies. So in other words, you take down a story and you take down a story, it's not in good faith. It is possible there should be lawsuits launched on the basis of the in good faith standard. Was this New York Post story restricted, quote unquote, in good faith? Was that done in good faith? It's very difficult to see how that was done in good faith. Maybe the New York Post has a lawsuit under Section 230, actually. So we'll see how all of that plays out. Bottom line is this. The social media companies just shot themselves directly in the foot, like really, really in the foot. Okay, so it's time to do something that we haven't done in a while. It's one of our most popular segments. Last time we did this, we analyzed the glorious Shakespearean brilliant song WAP, which was about moisture states of genitals. And it was a very important statement for feminists is what we learned. We learned that to criticize that song meant that you were in some way sexist or that you were sexually starved in some way. We learned many things actually in the course of, of analyzing that song. Well, now we have another glorious piece of culture from the great artist Demi Lovato. So Demi Lovato has put out a song. The song is titled Commander in Chief. How important is this song? This song is so important, so important. She shared, the 26-year-old singer shared a screenshot on her Instagram stories of a comment she received after releasing the music video. The comment read in part, I hope you realize this makes people that don't have the same political views feel like they can't listen to you anymore. I'm personally ashamed to be a Levatic right now, but no matter how hard it is, I'm not letting this song change my feelings about you, especially after everything you've helped me with. I really hope this doesn't ruin your career, career Demetria. Lovato shared her response in which she stated she had a right to her own political views. Celebrities aren't just around to entertain people for our entire lives. I mean, literally, you're an entertainer, so actually, that's the part we care about the most, to be honest with you. Just like my plumber, I mostly care about his plumbing. He has political views, I mostly care about the plumbing. Lovato says, I literally don't care if this ruins my career. This isn't about that. My career isn't about that. As much as I would like to be sad that I disappointed you, I'm too busy being bummed that you expect me, a queer Hispanic woman, to silence my views and beliefs in order to please my audience. Oh, this is st I mentioned bravery earlier on the show. He's stunning, stunning bravery, both stunning and brave. How could it be so stunning and so brave? I mean, it's just, frankly, sometimes you're just in awe at the bravery and the stunningness of the stunning bravery. And this is one of those times. A Hollywood starlet, a musical star in the Hollywood firmament put out a song about how Trump is bad. The, and she, I mean, guys, she doesn't care if it ruins her career. The risk to her career is so grave right now. I mean, I cannot think of a bigger career risk than being in an industry where literally everyone wishes that Trump were dead and you saying that you don't like Trump. I cannot, like the career risk there is insane. I cannot wait for Demi Lovato's next song. I like gay marriage. That's going to be like, oh my God, the career risk in Hollywood saying that she likes gay marriage. Wow. How about her next, her album? It should be called Racism is Bad. And everybody would be like, oh my God, she said it. Finally, someone said it. And the career risk, I mean, my, if she says racism is bad, man, she is taking her career into her own hands. Amazing, amazing stuff. 
Like what, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. What if she sang a song and the song were, the Bible is wrong. I, in Hollywood, wow, the blowback, the blowback. But she said something even more controversial than any of those things. Donald Trump is a mean, bad orange man who's fat, orange, and mean. And you are not allowed to say that in Hollywood. She, I mean, if you talk about somebody who's really taking a risk, somebody who's really stepping out front, willing to take the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune in order to defend a belief system that is deeply unpopular with her peers, it is Demi Lovato in Hollywood saying that Donald Trump is a mean, bad man. So she put out this, this song. It is indeed spectacular. I mean, it is somewhere, I, I learned, by the way, I, I, I learned so many things during that WAP debacle. I learned that people on the left don't understand basic humor. So you could do like a full 10-minute segment, a laughing 10-minute segment about how dumb the song is. And uh, you can cynically analyze the medical conditions necessary to have to require a, bu a bucket and a mop. And somehow people will take you seriously if it, if it serves their purposes to do so. So I, I feel like we should really take this as seriously as possible. Okay, I'm going to try not to be sarcastic or caustic in any way when I analyze this song, Commander-in-Chief, because I've learned that people on the left have no sense of humor at all. So we'll try to be deeply serious. In, in our analysis of this. I, I learned, by the way, during that WAP debacle, I learned that if you can not, if you can kind of rhyme words that are super obscene, but not really rhyme them, but kind of come close, like in the general neighborhood where the vowels sound similar, they're not even like the same vowels, but like kind of similar. And if you can do make a music video with liquid, with vaginal fluid flowing out the front door, literally flowing out the front door of a, of a home, if you do that, it's just like The Merry Wives of Windsor by Shakespeare. This is, what, this is what I learned. I learned that this was like a cross between Shakespeare and Beethoven. That's what I learned. So, I mean, our standards have been set quite high here. So we'll see if Demi Lovato can hit those standards. Here is Demi Lovato warbling Commander-in-Chief, which I haven't, I, I'll be honest with you, I've only seen some of the lyrics. I've, I haven't actually listened to the song, but I can guarantee you that because it's so stunning and so brave, it is also artistically incredible. Before I even listen to it, I know I know that it is a piece of artistic genius. I know that when we write the list of songs that aliens 1,000 years from now will look at, when, when, they, when they try to discern the best of human civilization, this will be up there. It will be like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It will be Hamlet. And it will be Demi Lovato's Commander-in-Chief. I haven't even listened to it yet, but I know because of the bravery, because it is just so brave. So here's some bravery being super brave, courageously courageous, stunning. Go. It's already great. Nothing's happened yet, but it's already... Oh, close-ups of people. Close-ups of diverse people. Were you ever taught when you were young? That, that girl sounds just like Demi Lovato. Oh, oh, I get it. She's, oh, she's lip-syncing it. That's been affected and resented every story you've spun and I'm a lucky one. Wow, that old white guy sounds exactly like Demi Lovato. He's wearing a MAGA hat too. And here's a guy who apparently is Sikh. And he's also singing. They all have the same voice. Oh, everybody's getting angrier and angrier. Everybody is very upset in this music video. Very upset. Oh wow! It's a it's a bunch of close-ups, a moving close-up of very uh, very diverse people of various weights, genders, orientations, colors, all singing the same song and lip singing to let Demi Lovato because Demi Lovato is all of us. Wow! 
This is so moving. I mean, you can tell whenever there's the meaningful piano chords underneath, like imagine. That's how you know people are super into it. I will say that it is it is kind of weird when there are these like super masculine men singing in Demi Lovato's voice. It's a little weird, but but I'm but it's the best part of the song is that it never exits a range of about five notes. Oh, six notes. Okay, everyone is so sad in this video. But I get it. I get why everybody is sad. By the way, most diverse casting call of all time for this video. So very exciting stuff, obviously. And now we're back to original girl. Okay, well, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed that. Oh, the camera's moving again. Oh, and now we get, we've reached the apotheosis among the stars, Demi Lovato singing. Among the stars. Everybody else is against a black background, but Demi Lovato is all of us. She's like a godlike figure placed amongst the stars as we close in on her face. She's also very upset, Demi Lovato. It turns out that she was like Mr. Smith in The Matrix. All the other figures were just representations of Mr. Smith. The Matrix was everything, all the others were just fakes. Here is the real human, Demi Lovato. And she's, uh, she, seriously. Oh. Okay, so this is, this is just, it's grand, she's, wow. Okay, oh my god. This is the, it's, okay, I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm sorry, I tried to stay serious, but uh, this is self-parody. So I'm gonna read you the lyrics because I was talking over some of them, and I think they deserve to be given their full poetic respect. Here, is, here are the lyrics, ready? Were you ever taught when you were young, if you mess with things selfishly, they're bound to come undone? I'm not the only one that's been affected and resented every story you've spun, and I'm a lucky one. Cause there are people worse off that have suffered enough. Haven't they suffered enough? But you can't get enough of shutting down systems for personal gain, fighting fires with flares and praying for rain. Do you get off on pain? We're not pawns in your game. <laughs> Commander-in-Chief, honestly, if I did the things you do, I couldn't sleep. Seriously, do you even know the truth? We're in a state of crisis. People are dying while you line your pockets deep. Commander-in-Chief, how does it feel to still be able to breathe? Well, that changes everything. Because what I got there is a, a compelling case that Donald Trump is a big meanie who does mean things and is really mean. Well, mind, mind blown. Mind blown. Mind blown. She explained to CNN, we have to turn up and vote because it's so important our voices are heard. And honestly, for me, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, just get out and vote. No, I, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't think you want Republicans voting. She said that her inspiration for the song was this. There's been so many times I've wanted to write the president a letter or sit down with him and ask these questions. And then I thought, I don't really actually want to do that. Yeah, I, I know, because you might get an answer. And I thought one way I could do that is writing a song and releasing it for the whole world to hear. Then he has to answer those questions to everyone and not just me. Ah, oh, ah. Oh. Uh, by, by the way, this song was co-written with Julia Michaels, Justin Trancer, and Aaron Kanata. This is one of the things that I love most about our, our current musical scene, is that it takes three, it takes four writers for that. Beethoven did all nine of his symphonies by himself. Shakespeare did all of his plays by himself. That took four writers. Slow clap for the bravery and the stunningness. Well done, Demi Lovato. You've changed the world. A groundbreaking piece of culture that put your entire career at risk. Ah, oh, man. Wow, that was just... I, 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 there, there are no more words. There are no more words. There is only the heartache of knowing of the commander in chief. Okay, I, I know we're super long here, but I'm gonna do something that actually is a bit of high culture. It's called the Bible. I know people on the left hate this. Uh, on the far left, and really, like there are people on the left who actually don't hate the Bible. But we have now begun anew the Book of Genesis. So every year, the the Jews, I know, Chris, uh, 
Andrew Cuomo, turn off, turn off the show right now, Andrew Cuomo. I said the Jews, turn it off. You too, Bill de Blasio. I know they're very scary. I'm going to talk some Jew. Okay, so every year, the Jews, we repeat the cycle of the first five books of Moses. Right? So we started that anew this week. The first part of the book of Genesis is, of course, the Parsha of Bereshit, which is the creation of the world. I want to focus in on what I think is the single most important story in human history. I'm not talking about the story of Adam and Eve and the snake and the garden. That one's real important. But I'm talking about something else that is indicative of all human relations. Okay, I'm talking about the story of Cain and Abel. So we're going to give it a bit of a close read right here, because I think that in order to understand anything that goes on with politics or human nature, you have to understand human beings have not changed. Human nature has not changed. This is why when you see people on the left say things like the Constitution was written in 1787 and then it was ratified in 1789. Like, what does that have to do with us today? Human nature didn't change. Human nature has not changed for thousands of years. There is an innate human nature. That human nature tends towards sin. It also tends toward the ability for greatness. And that's the story of Cain and Abel in a nutshell. So here is the story of Cain and Abel. It's really short and it's incredibly meaningful. It, it is less than a chapter and it essentially ends. It's, it's about 16 verses. So here we go. Now, the man knew his wife at Eve. This is Adam. And she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man with the Lord. And she continued to bear his brother Abel. And Abel was a shepherd of flocks and Cain was a tiller of the soil. So Cain is agriculturalist. Now it came to pass at the end of days that Cain brought of the fruit of the soil an offering to the Lord. And Abel, he too brought of the firstborn of his flocks and of their fattest. And the Lord turned to Abel and to his offering. Okay, so already we are faced with two questions. One, Cain seems like the good guy here, right? Cain is the one who initiates the whole, I want to bring uh, of my fruit to sacrifice to God and express my gratitude. It's Cain's idea, not Abel's. And then God turns to Abel, not Cain. So this brings the second question. Why is Cain being ignored by God? To Cain and his offering, he did not turn. It annoyed Cain exceedingly. His countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you annoyed? And why has your countenance fallen? Is it not so that if you improve, it will be forgiven you? If you do not improve, however, at the entrance, sin is lying. And to you is its longing, but you can rule over it. There's a beautiful section in John Steinbeck's East of Eden that's all about this, right? The, the word timshal, that you can rule over it, that you have an evil inclination and your job as a human being is to learn to rule over that evil inclination. So people for thousands of years have talked about the question, why did God favor Abel over Cain in this particular scenario? And it occurred to me reading it this year that God actually is not favoring Abel over Cain. In accepting Abel's offering, it's not really that, that God is doing something nice for Abel while doing something cruel to Cain. He's actually doing something nice to Cain. He's offering him the opportunity to do what his parents could not. He's offering him the ability to grow beyond himself. He's offering him the ability to repent. He's offering him the ability to get better. Right? God literally gives him a lecture. And this is, this is the divine speaking to humankind and saying to all human beings, Sin lies at your door, but you can rise above it because you are better than this, because you have the capacity to change yourself. You have the capacity to make your own life better by recognizing where you have failed and then working to rectify that breach, right? It's an inspiring message, but Cain takes it exactly like most human beings take that message, which is he gets angry at reality. He's angry at reality, and he takes that anger out on Abel. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. We have no idea what they said. Right? We have no, it doesn't relate the conversation. It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Okay, so why is God playing hide and seek with Cain here? God knows exactly what happened. He's God, right? He does the same thing with Adam. It's really interesting, the parallelism. After the sin in the garden, God says to Adam and Eve, what did you do? He knows what they did, and they don't fess up. Instead, 
Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the snake. And so both of them are punished. So God is now giving Cain the same opportunity. He's saying, where is Abel, your brother? And what he wants is for Cain to confess. He wants Cain even now to repent after killing his brother. He wants Cain to, to repent and improve. Every, every moment you have before you die is an opportunity to improve. And, and Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? Hark, your brother's blood cries out to me from the earth, which is some of the most stirring language in all of the Bible. And now you're cursed even more than the ground, which opened its mouth to take your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the soil, it will not continue to give its strength to you. You shall be a wanderer and an exile in the land. Okay, and then Cain said to the Lord, is my iniquity too great to bear? So here's the part of the story that people tend to ignore. Cain gets the message. Cain actually gets the message, right? Because really he should die for having committed murder. But Cain gets the message when he says, is my iniquity too great to bear? He's acknowledging for the first time sin. Adam never really acknowledged that he had sinned. Eve never really acknowledged that she had sinned. Cain acknowledges that he sins, right? He uses, the in Hebrew, it's Bayomer Cain el Hashem, Gadol Avoni means so, right? Avoni is my sin. He's first, this is the first time in human history that somebody is acknowledging a sin. He says, behold, you're driving me off the face of the earth. I shall be hidden from before you. I will be a wanderer and an exile in the land. It will be that whoever finds me will kill me. Now, buried in that language is one particular phrase that, again, gets overlooked. I shall be hidden from before you, right? Mipanecha Esther, that before your face, I will be hidden. Hey, what he's longing for is that connection with God anew. This is Cain repenting. So Cain actually does get, the story of Cain and Abel doesn't end with the killing. It ends with human beings realizing we do have the capacity to repent. And what does God do? The God, God forgives him. He says, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be wrought upon him sevenfold. And the Lord placed a mark on Cain that no one who find him slay him. So now God has placed his explicit protection on a murderer because the murderer repented. And Cain went forth from before the Lord. He dwelt in the land of wanderers to the east of Eden. Cain knew his wife. And then you get the entire lineage of Cain. And he goes and he, uh, he creates cities, right? His children create, city, uh, create cities. Now, what is the purpose of having that story in there? The story is not really about Cain and his descendants because they really become irrelevant to the story of the Jewish people, which follows in the five books of Moses. The story there is about humanity. We all have the capacity to recognize our own sin and to get better. We all have the capacity to recognize that we have done evil things and to repent. We all have the obligation to recognize our own sinful nature and to work to move beyond it. I've said before something that sounds very harsh. For the vast majority of people, if your life sucks, 90% of it is probably your fault. This is true for me. It's true for everybody. That doesn't, not 100%, people have circumstances. And for some people, 90% of their life sucking is not their fault. But for the vast majority of human beings, your choice and your fate is in your hands. And that is the story of Cain and Abel. If you let jealousy overcome you, if you fight against the reality, which is that you have a sinful nature, if you fight against the reality, which is sometimes life ain't gonna go your way and you need to change and adapt to that reality, if you fight that, then you end up being condemned. If, however, you get the message, Team Shawl, if you rise above it, then you become a better, a different human being worthy of God's protection. All righty. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. We will be back here on Monday for more. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. 
Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.